before I begin, I just want to rush and thank Noah for giving me the opportunity to preach today. Y'all have a great pastor who I love and respect, and so I'm so thankful to be here with y'all today. Um, today is, uh, actually, this whole month is Black History Month, and I know a lot of y'all probably are aware of that, but if you hear me talking about black folks a lot in this sermon, please know it's connected to that. Um, <laughs> Uh, before I begin, let me just offer up a brief prayer. Father, I just thank you for your goodness, Lord. I thank you for each and every person that is here today, God. And I thank you for this opportunity to proclaim your word, God. I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Hide me at the foot of your cross, Lord. And I pray that you would be glorified in this message today, Lord. And that your will would be done with your people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child a long way from home. A long way from home. These are the lyrics of a well-known African-American spiritual song. This song dates back to the era where people of African descent were forced into servitude in this land. And it makes sense for people of African descent to sing a feeling like a motherless child because they were taken from their motherland by force. And on top of that, during the period of chattel slavery, African-American people could literally be sold away from their biological mothers to go work in forced servitude in another part of the country. This traumatic reality led to African-American spirituals being created because people of African descent were literally exiles in this land. In Merriam-Webster Dictionary, an exile is defined as a state or a period of forced absence from one's country or home. Exile is defined as the state or a period of forced absence from one's country or home. Given this experience of exile through forced removal from their homeland, it is not surprising that African-American Christians have historically resonated with the book of Daniel. Because Daniel was in exile. Daniel was a long way from home. Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael were taken away from their home in Jerusalem and forced to come to Babylon. They were forced to serve the people that had destroyed their homeland, which is to say they were exiles. Now, Hebrews are not the only people in the Bible that experience exile. In the New Testament, Christians are referred to as exiles because our ultimate home is the new heavens and the new earth. So like the Hebrew boys in the book of Daniel and people of African descent forced from their homeland, we too are living in a state of exile. And I'm sure that many of you have felt this exile acutely during this global pandemic. That's why I'm thankful for our text this evening in Daniel chapter one, verses eight through 21 because these verses teach us how to live and make it in exile. They teach us how to live for God in the midst of being away from our ultimate home, 
And this evening, we're going to see three things that God calls us to do while living in exile. Again, we're going to see three things that God calls us to do while living in exile. Now, the first thing we see in our text is that God calls us to remain holy in exile. God calls us to remain holy while living in exile. Let's look at verse 8 of Daniel chapter 1. Verse 8 of Daniel chapter 1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, starting in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. In verse 8 of our text, we see that Daniel has made a decision not to eat the king's food. Daniel has made this decision because he does not want to defile himself. Now, I know some of you may naturally wonder why the food would defile Daniel. Well, Daniel was part of God's chosen people, the Israelites. And within the law that God gave them through Moses, they were instructed not to eat unclean meat like pork and horse meat. In addition, they were instructed not to eat meat with the blood still in it. So it is likely that the king's food offered to Daniel included unclean meat. Daniel also probably decided the food was unclean because the food and wine was offered as sacrifice to Babylonian gods. Therefore, this common practice of offering food to false gods would have led Daniel to view the food and wine offered by the king as unclean and something that would defile him. In light of this reality, Daniel resolved not to eat the food from the king's table. This resolve led him to go to the chief eunuch, who was a government official under the king, to request to eat different food. This was a decision that took a lot of courage. I mean, Daniel belonged to a people that had been conquered by the Babylonians. He was not in a position of power. He belonged to a disempowered minority group. He went to Babylon to learn the language and the culture in order to serve the king, and he was in a somewhat privileged position. I mean, anyone in that culture would have loved to have the opportunity to eat from the king's table. But Daniel had a commitment that superseded his commitment to the king of Babylon. He was not just going to assimilate and capitulate to Babylonian culture. Daniel basically said, you can take me out of Jerusalem, but you can't take my commitment to the God of Jerusalem out of me. I'm still committed to my God because he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. In light of that commitment, he refused the food even though it could have hindered him from moving up at his new job. He refused the food even though it could have led to him being persecuted for his faith commitment. He refused the food even though it could have led to him being further marginalized and ostracized as an ethnic minority. Despite the risk, Daniel was committed to remaining holy and exile and please don't hear me wrong, Daniel didn't reject everything about Babylonian culture. He was willing to learn the language and the literature, but he was unwilling to do anything that compromised his allegiance to God. Despite his position, he was committed to remaining holy before God while in exile. 
And like Daniel, God calls us to remain holy in exile too. Now our experience is not the same as Daniel and his three Hebrew friends. Yet God calls us to walk in holiness in our exile as Christians. The country and land that we inhabit now is not our final destination. The United States of America is not God's eternal kingdom. Jesus is going to return and establish a new heaven and a new earth. Thus, we are exiles in this land until the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, returns to establish his eternal kingdom. In light of this reality, God calls us to remain holy as exiles. The word holy means to be set apart from sin or evil. God wants us to be set apart from the sin and evil around us so that we can have a deeper relationship with him and one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. But it can be hard to remain holy in our current cultural climate. Can I get an amen? amen. There are certain ways God calls us to live that are diametrically opposed to the surrounding culture. For example, God calls Christians to only express their sexuality within the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. This view goes against our culture's view that you can hook up with whoever you want, whenever you want. But despite this fact, God calls us to remain holy in our sexuality. In addition, our culture tells us to pursue economic wealth and resources above all else. But God calls us to serve him above money and to care for those who are marginalized and vulnerable. Despite our culture's views on money and success, God calls us to remain holy in exile. And even though we live in a culture that tells us we need political power to flourish and grow, God calls us to stay holy by not compromising our Christian witness to gain political power and influence. Because Daniel's story shows us that we can remain faithful to God regardless of what individuals hold political power in our society because we serve a God who has all power. Even if Christians become more marginalized in this society due to our faith commitments, God calls us to remain holy in this season of exile. Now, as we move back to our text, we see that God not only calls us to remain holy in exile, he calls us to believe his ways are better in exile. God calls us to believe that his ways are better in exile. Let's look back at our text starting in verse 9. Beginning in verse 9 of Daniel chapter 1, our text reads, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who has assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youth who are of your own age? So you went endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the units had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servant for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servant according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance 
and fatter in flesh than all the youth who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. In our text, we see that the government official overseeing Daniel was moved by God to care for him and show compassion to him. Yet he was reluctant to allow Daniel to reject the king's food. The government official believed that Daniel would look worse than the other young men who were taken from other nations because he wasn't eating the king's food. He believed that this could ultimately lead to him being hurt or killed for giving Daniel different food. And who could blame the government official? Would you want to oppose the orders of an ancient Near Eastern king? The government official believed that the king's food was the best food for Daniel and his Hebrew comrades for their physical appearance and performance. He believed that Daniel and his friends would look worse than the other youth taken from other nations by eating different food. But despite this reality, Daniel was not willing to embrace this perspective. He didn't believe the king's diet was better for him. In verse 11 of our text, Daniel proposes that the government officials overseeing him and his friends conduct a short longitudinal study. Daniel tells the government officials to test him, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah for 10 days by allowing them to only eat vegetables and water. Now, the word translated as vegetables in verse 12 of Daniel chapter 1 means food grown from seed sown. Thus, this diet would have included vegetable, fruits, and grains, since those are foods that come from seed sown. So Daniel basically proposes a vegan diet for him and his friends to test if it's better than eating the king's food. In verse 14, the government official agrees to Daniel's proposal, and after 10 days on this vegan diet, we see in verse 15 that Daniel and his friends looked better and were healthier than the other young men eating the king's food. So the government official allowed Daniel and his Hebrew friends to remain on their diet of only eating vegetable, fruits, and grains. Using my holy imagination, I believe that Daniel knew the diet he proposed would be better for him than eating the unclean food from the king's table. I believe Daniel already knew that following God's way would be better for him than defiling himself by eating the king's food. Despite the power and grandeur of Babylon, Daniel didn't embrace everything from their culture. He didn't believe that their ways were better when they went against his commitment and allegiance to God. Despite his marginalized status, he didn't believe that Babylon's might made them right. So while in exile, he still believed that God's ways were better than the ways of Babylon. Now go with me here for a second. When I think of someone who believed God's ways were better than the society around her, I think of a woman by the name of Fannie Lou Hamer, one of the heroines of the civil rights movement. Ms. Hamer was a black Christian woman who was born in Mississippi in 1917. 
Now in the state of Mississippi and throughout the United States, the sinful racial caste system led to African-Americans being denied the right to vote. Ms. Hamer knew this practice was absolutely wrong and out of line with the will of God, despite those in power believing differently. So in 1962, she went with 17 other people to register to vote in Mississippi. After she got home, she and her husband lost their jobs working as sharecroppers, and they also lost their home because she tried to register to vote. On top of that, people attempted to take her life by firing several bullets into the home she was staying in after she lost her job and home. She even faced severe physical abuse in prison for attempting to peacefully register to vote. But despite this reality, Ms. Hamer continued to reject the ways of the society around her because she knew God's way was better and her labor was not in vain. She was given the opportunity to offer her testimony on being denied her constitutional right to vote in 1964 at the, at the Democratic National Convention. Her moving testimony was seen across the country and world and it was instrumental in the Voting Rights Act of 1965 being passed in this country. This legislation secured the right of African Americans to vote in the United States. Like Daniel, her commitment to following God's ways above the ways of her society showed that God's ways are better than the ways of this broken world. And in accordance with Daniel and Ms. Hamer, God calls us to believe that his ways are better than the ways of the culture around us. This can be hard to believe because there are systems in place that tell us it is anti-intellectual to follow the God of the Bible. There are messages that tell us the Christian sexual ethic is archaic and backwards. Yet despite the messages, God calls us to believe that his ways are better than the norms of society. And the, in light of this reality, what are some scenarios where God wants you to believe that his ways are better than the norms of the culture around you? Does he want you to believe his ways are better in the way that you go about doing your job during the week? Does he want you to believe that his ways are better in the way you go about doing your schoolwork? Does he want you to believe his ways are better in the ways that you go about your relationships? Does he want you to believe his ways are better in the way that you view justice and confronting ongoing racial injustice within our society? Whatever it is, God wants us to believe that his ways are better when the, when the ways of our society are in opposition to the ways that God calls us to live as Christians. Amen? Now, as we move back to our text, we not only see that God calls us to believe his ways are better in exile and that God calls us to remain holy in exile, we also see that God calls us to remember his faithfulness in exile. God calls us to remember his faithfulness in exile. Let's look back at verse 17 of our text. Starting in Daniel chapter 1, verse 17. As for these four youth, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, 
the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. In this passage, we see that God gave Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah wisdom and the ability to learn the literature of Babylonian culture. In addition, God gave Daniel the capacity to interpret all visions and dreams, which was an important skill to have in Babylonian culture, which you'll see as Noah continues to preach through the book of Daniel. God's favor was so present in the lives of these four Hebrew boys that when they appeared before King Nebuchadnezzar, they were found to be substantially wiser than all magicians and enchanters in the kingdom of Babylon. Thus, God had given them all the skills and resources they needed to make it while living in exile in the kingdom of Babylon. Throughout the entire book of Daniel, God shows that he has the power to keep his people in exile. God continually shows that his power is far greater than any temporal kingdom or political power. Daniel and his Hebrew friends are able to stay faithful to God in exile, ultimately because God remained faithful to them. They remembered that the God they served would never leave them or forsake them, even though they were a long way from home. And this text calls us to trust that God can keep us in exile like he kept Daniel and his Hebrew friends. But to be honest, at times I struggle to trust that God can keep us in exile. Have you ever been there? When I see African-Americans like Breonna Taylor and Amir Locke wrongfully killed through no-knock warrants, I struggle to trust that God can keep his people in exile. When I see a growing number of people struggling with mental health challenges like depression and anxiety in the church, I struggle to believe that God keeps his people in exile. When I see suicide rates among teenagers, gun violence, and drug overdoses increasing during this COVID-19 pandemic, I struggle to trust that God can keep his people in exile. When I see kids from marginalized communities continue to fall farther behind in schools and cities like Chicago, I struggle to believe that God keeps his people in exile. And when I see people continuing to pass away due to the global pandemic, I struggle to believe that God keeps his people in exile. But our text this morning shows us that God does not forsake us in exile. Thus, we can trust him to keep us in this season of exile. Now, when I think about trusting God to keep his people in exile, I can't help but to think about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s final sermon. It was April 3rd of 1968 in Memphis, Tennessee. Dr. King was not planning to preach a sermon, but he received word that a large group of black Christians had packed out Mason Temple Church in Memphis to hear him speak. So he decided to offer an impromptu message called, I've been to the mountaintop. And at the end of this message, Dr. King says, and I quote, 
Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go to the mountaintop, and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. And, we may, and I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. Now, Dr. King has seen African-Americans attacked by dogs in the South fighting for their civil rights. He has seen people beaten on Edmund Pettus Bridge for fighting for the right to vote. He was jailed several times and constantly faced death threats. He had even come to Chicago and saw the racism and injustice when he marched to fight against the racing housing policies that led to African-Americans being segregated in ghettos in Chicago. And he further saw the economic inequality in America when he moved to Chicago in an apartment on the west side. Given all that he had seen, he had every reason to doubt that God keeps his people in exile. But despite this reality, he had the strength to tell a room full of back Christians that they would make it to the promised land the day before his assassination. He had every reason to give up on God, but he still believed that God would keep his people while in the wilderness of exile. And I'm not Dr. King, but I came to tell you this evening that God can keep you in exile. He can keep you as you raise your children to follow the Lord in this society. He can keep you at your job as you seek to be faithful in your work. He can keep you through the health and mental health struggles during this COVID-19 pandemic. God can keep you and provide for you financially during this economically difficult time. The word of God in Daniel chapter 1 and Dr. King's testimony reminds us that we can trust God to keep us in exile. Now, I know some of you may think, how can I trust God to keep me in exile? I'm not Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. God didn't give us wisdom and favor like he gave to them. So how can we trust God to keep us in our exile? That's a good question. Well, we can trust God to keep us in exile because he gave us something better than wisdom and knowledge. He gave us his son, Jesus Christ. In John 3.16, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. See, we were in exile away from God due to our sin and brokenness, and there was no way for us to come home, but God sent his son into exile in this sinful world to save us. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died the death we deserve on the cross of Calvary to pay for our sin and rebellion against God so that we could come home. In light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can trust God to keep us in exile. In light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can trust in God to keep us in exile. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness, Lord. I thank you for your grace to us, Lord. I pray that you would draw us closer to you in this season, Lord. I pray that you would encourage us and build us up in this season, Lord, as the pandemic continues, Lord. Just pray that you strengthen us, Lord. Help us trust you and cling closer to you in this season, Father. We thank you for your grace, Lord. Get us through this Chicago winter, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.